If you were to ask God right now, this moment, to fix something, to sort something out, what would it be? I don't, I don't know what group that, and I'm not going to know. Uh, you might have been somebody who's, who's chosen some kind of big, worldwide kind of thing to finally end all things COVID-related. Please. Or maybe with the uh, big climate change conference happening, for, for going to intervene and sort the situation out. Uh, maybe to do something about uh, the inequality of poverty and starvation in the world uh, maybe to deal with the inequalities and discrimination experienced by some people just for the fact that they're a woman. Or discrimination because of the colour of someone's skin or where they live or the background they come from. My guess, however, tonight, this is just a guess, it's a punt, that most of us would have probably put something a bit more personal, something a bit more closer to home. Okay, so we've got to fix something in us. Maybe it's a struggle we're battling with physical health or our mental health. Maybe it's less to do with you, but more to do with somebody you're close to, somebody you love, what they're going through. Maybe it's the, the struggles and stresses you're facing at work, or, or the struggles of not work. Maybe it's difficulties you're experiencing in, in a relationship, in a marriage, or with children. Or maybe it's just wrestling and the pain of grief. Maybe you've been praying for God to fix some of these things for a long time. Or maybe you've just started, or maybe you haven't even got to the place of being able to pray about it, but you, you, you kind of think these are all the sorts of things that God fixes, right? Isn't that the kind of gods that we find out about in the Bible? God he, he intervenes in these situations and does stuff and fixes things. And I suspect between us, we've got a whole range of things we'd like God to fix in our lives and the world. And if we go back a few thousand years, about three thousand, a bit less than, uh, we would find another group of God's people longing for God to fix something. Except if they were writing down on a little blue piece of paper, then they would all be the same. They were longing for God to take them home. You'd ask them what they wanted most of all for God to do is to bring them back home. See, things have gone really badly wrong for God's people. God, because he's good and he's gracious and he's, he's generous, have rescued this people out of Egypt. You know the story with Moses? And then they go on through the, the wilderness and then God had given them a home, the promised land. But instead of living lives that put God's goodness on display for the whole world to see, they looked out the whole world and decided they wanted to live like that. And so turned their backs on God and his generosity. And God gave his people what they wanted. He invited, if you like, the rest of the world to come in to their home and take them away. Takes them away into exile. And it turns out, Turns out it really wasn't what they wanted. Now just imagine with me for a moment this, this back two rows up here, over here, yeah. This is what exile is like. It's me kind of going, right, come on, yeah. I want you to sit right up front there. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in that moment, how do you feel? Are you keen on the idea? No, not really. 
And if I may, you sit down at the front, right at the front, where are you going to sit? Say for God's people. They've been taken out from home and they longed to be back home. And they had a promise. They were holding on to a promise that God had given to them that he would one day do that. That is where one or two kings were probably written. And so if you like, kings is looking back on what had gone on with God's people to explain the mess that they found themselves in. And at the same time to remind them of God, God is. The God who takes sin seriously and the God who never gives up on his people, no matter how daft, no matter how um, stupid, frustrating they are. No matter how much of a mess they're in. And tonight we landed a bit of two kings, okay, that is desperate, bizarre, and tragic. But that's not why the Holy Spirit is finding to be written down, just because they're desperate, bizarre, and tragic. It's because through these events, God was saying something to his people who'd been taken out of the land, those people who were longing to be home. And what is God's message through these bizarre and desperate and tragic events? It's one simple message. God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. And God continues to speak to his people, us, here tonight, speaking into all those situations we've, we've just written down, and God continues to say, I am the God who will always keep his word. Well, we're going to hear these um, desperate, bizarre, and tragic events, and Jonah is going to do some Bible reading for us tonight. And so whilst he comes up, if you want to grab, it's probably really helpful to grab a few Bible, at five, page 374. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. And Jonah, can you read for us at verses 24 through to the end of verse 33 on page 373? Uh, sometime later, Ben Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that donkeys had sold for 80 shekels of silver. And a quarter of a cap of seed pods for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing on, passing by on the wall, all cried to him, Tell me, my lord the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I, where can I get help you? From the fresh from the freshman floor, from the wine press, then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This woman said to me, Do up your sons the way we eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give it your sons, they will be eaten. But she said, them. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, people looked, and they saw that under his robes there sat on his body. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severe, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Don't you see how this murder, murder is sending someone's cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While they were still talking to them, the messenger came down to him. The king said, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Thanks, Jonah. I'm going to suggest you, you sit in exile for a little while, because um, there's a few more Bible readings uh, to come. But it's not hard enough reading to see, is it? Or, or to hear just how desperate things 
worst thing any of you have ever eaten. The worst thing ever eaten. Someone must have eaten something for him. Mince meat. Mince meat? Ah, that's it. Fermented milk. Fermented milk. I don't even know what tribe is, but the name puts me on. Yeah, I just kind of the thought of eating octopus. Um, I probably, it's probably not like the worst thing I've ever eaten. I certainly remember um, going away for uh, one of these um, student weekends away. Uh, one of the challenges was to drink a can of Coke through somebody else's sock. They walked in the last day, so I was drinking a can of Coke through my friend's sock. Great presenting. The only thing got me through was knowing he was having to go through my sock, and that was at least ten times worse. But none of that, none of those things, trying coke through a sock comes close to donkey head. And English Bibles do their usual thing. Just, just try to take the edge off things a little bit. Um, seed pots. Do you see the Bible says there's, still, there's a little seed footnote? Well, dumpster. Pigeon poo. And that was only if you had loads of cash. So donkey head only cost about 500 quid. Want some pigeon poo? Cost you about 40. That's how desperate things were. We're with God's people. We're up in the north, northern kingdom. We're in the capital city, Samaria. And it's been surrounded by an enemy army. It's been cut off. There is nothing coming in. Remember the empty shelves a while ago? No pasta, no toilet bowl, or maybe the petrol station with no petrolin. Makes that look like a sunshine holiday. That's how desperate things are. But it gets far worse than it. It gets stomach-churningly worse. The unimaginable deal. Can you imagine that deal ever happen? How desperate must things have been between two months that lead to one of their children being So why, why are we given this story, this stomach-churning, desperate story? Must be because it tells us that God is a God who always keeps his word. Now, just keep a finger in uh, TK6 and flip back uh, a little while. Go, go left a bit to Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 28. And if somebody gets it for me, please shout out page number 204. And as you go another page over to six, I think. Deuteronomy 28, uh, verses 52 to 53. This was God speaking years earlier through Moses of what God's people could expect if they, if they walked away from the good God and living in his good ways. And just, just see if it sounds familiar. They will lay siege to all the cities around your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities around the land that the Lord your God has given you. Because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the wind, the flesh of the sons and daughters that the Lord your God has given you. See, God always keeps his way. So now we move from the desperate. And we come to the bizarre. So we're going to invite Jonah to come up again. And Jonah, where do you read for us? We're back in 2 Kings. So page 374. And we read uh, verses 1, and, 1 to 9 of 2 Kings chapter 7 for 
Elijah replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sailor of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and two sailors of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer of whose army king was leading said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open up the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You'll see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say, We'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Iranian Arab neighbors and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they searched the Israel camp, no one was there. The Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and the horses of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired a Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled to the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took the silver, gold, and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent, and took some things from it, and hid them also. Then they said to each other, Boy, the enemy's not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Thanks, Jane. I'm going to keep you next song just for a little bit longer. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, I certainly have, of you're walking home late at night, it's dark, and you just get a bit spooked. And you just start walking a bit quicker in that, and then you grab all your keys and your phone and start getting a bit quicker, and you, you might even be ready to run. Here, we have a whole army, not just a few soldiers, a whole nation's army getting spooked. Not so they just hold their keys a bit tighter and walk a bit quicker, so that they drop everything and run. Run for their lives. They think they're about to be taken out, so when we just heard it read, verse 6, well, why did it happen? For the Lord caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. They got up and fled. And it gets more bizarre, doesn't it? Because this is all discovered, not by the king of Israel, or the important people, or the army generals. Who, who discovers it? Four random, unnamed lepers. Who have basically just decided they were going to die, whatever. So they might as well enter the uh, enemy army camp because it possibly gave them the best chance of not dying. But they probably would die. And yet, in, by verse 8, we find them stuffing their faces. They're in steak and chips, no more donkey head or pigeon poo. And it's, it's, it's an incredible thing, it's bizarre. But again, it shows us that God keeps his word. Remember what God said through his prophet, his spokesman. Elisha, the start of what Jonah's read. Chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord, this is what the Lord says. At this time tomorrow, a seer of the finest flower sell for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. What that's saying is suddenly there will be food, and you will be able to buy it. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be really cheap. It's going to be a heck of a lot better than it has been. It was a completely unlikely promise. Food, suddenly cheaper. No more donkey heads. No 
exactly what happens. Because we, we read on, and if you, if you go to Bible, you can, you can go down to verse 16 of chapter 7, where we read, Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seer of the finest flower sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Do you see? God always keeps his words. So we've had stuff that's desperate, we've had stuff that's bizarre, we're just going to finally come to uh, the stuff that's pretty tragic. Uh, and the final bit of our reading uh, from 2 Kings, chapter 7, verses 17 to 20. Uh, Jane's going to read for us, verses 17 to 20. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he had leaned in, in front of the gate, and the other people trampled him in the gateway and he died. This is the man of God had been told when the king came down to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king, About this time tomorrow, a sailor, finest for how, will sell for a shepherd, two sailors of barley for a shepherd at the gate of his tomorrow. The officer said to the man of God, Look, even the Lord shall open up the floodgates of the heavens. Could this happen? The man of God replied, You'll see with your own eyes, for you will not eat any of it. And this is exactly what happened to him. The people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. Well, if it didn't happen, 
alarmed because people needed to warn them of how badly wrong things had gone and how far they had gone from God. If you want an alarm to wake you up at tomorrow morning, are you going to set something that's just a sort of nice, gentle lump? Or do you want something that's more like a megaphone that says, get out of bed? Because that's the one that's going to stir you into action. It's going to wake you up and do something. And if you like this terrible, desperate situation, it's God's megaphone to wake his people up so they would return to him and return to living all in for him. And, and it's because when we hear the word waiting, we think of being quite passive. We're standing there. We're sitting there. We're twiddling our thumbs. See, waiting for God is not sitting around doing nothing. It's not that kind of thing. It's an active thing. It's a doing thing. Waiting for God is living in the ways God has shown us, whilst we trust God to keep his word. Have a, get your blue bit of paper there. Have a look. Just remind yourself what you wrote down. Those are the things that you, that's the thing you would love God to fix right now. Now God keeping his word is not a promise that he's going to sort everything that's written down in blue bits of paper this way. In fact, the promise might be that it actually in our lifetime will never, will never be fixed. But those big worldwide things that God has promised, uh, those big worldwide things, God has promised that one day, when Jesus returns, we we may find. Well, those more personal things. Again, there is a day to come when all will be well. And there are promises now that even in those struggles, that Jesus is with us. And we get glimpses of what's to come as the Holy Spirit gives us joy and peace and courage. When God does intervene in small and big ways, giving us a glimpse of what's to come. But in all of it, God is always keeping his, his words. We are to wait for the Lord through the daily decisions to trust him and to live for him and to go his ways, even when it's not, we're not feeling it. Because God always keeps his word. So the first thing we're to do when God keeps his word is to wait for him. The second thing, and it's part of the waiting, I guess, is we're to tell of the day of good news. God's amazing rescue his people was discovered by those four unknown, desperate lepers. He just stumbled into it. And they come to that realisation, verse 9 of chapter 7. They say, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. Us here tonight, we are a people who live by a day of good news ourselves. Not of a runaway army. 3,000 years ago. But of that first Easter Sunday, Jesus risen from the dead. Remember what, God, uh, what uh, the king's right hand man had said when uh, Elijah gave that promise from God of cheaper food? He said, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? Literally, he said, If the Lord could make windows in heaven. But in Jesus, God doesn't just make a window in heaven. He walks into the world and into our lives. And Jesus doesn't just defeat a nation's army. He defeats an enemy far worse. Our sin, the devil, and death itself. He makes them run away, not by the sound of chariots and horses, but 
by dying on a cross, being raised to life, that we have a day of good news. It's not ours to keep to ourselves. If you like, we are like those, those random lepers who stumbled into real treasure in Jesus. We've got forgiveness, we've got a future, we've got friendship, family, fullness of life. It's why we can wait on the Lord. He's given us a day of good news. A day that shapes every day of our life now. And the bits that we uh, didn't read, the lepers go and, and tell of what they found. And, and like those lepers, we, we, might, we might tell people and they're not convinced. The lepers have to do some persuading. They say, come and see, come and look for yourself. And they eventually find somebody who does this. He's interested and takes a risk to find out. I guess we often assume those around us when we're convinced by our day of news. But we decide it all. And I just wonder if we need to let them show us where they're at. We do that by inviting them. Come, come and see. Come and see what can we invite them to. It's all sorts of things. Uh, sometimes we think we've got to wait for a special event. Those are great. Why take a risk? your home group to meet some of your Christian friends. Or to read an account of Jesus' life on the gospel. See what they think. Because it might be that they are the one who will listen. They are the one who might suddenly be interested. Maybe they're the one who wants to take a risk to find out more. In a few moments, we're going to uh, put up here and receive communion. And through the bread and the wine, God will again remind us that he's a God who always keeps his word. Bread and wine, if you like, will sustain us, uh, trust, helping us to trust that he is a God who keeps his word. The bread and wine, they speak of that day of good news. And as we receive, we'll help us to continue to wait on the Lord. Maybe it's because of what we've written down on our piece of paper. And if it's helpful this evening, feel free to come to communion holding it. As a kind of visible way of demonstrating for waiting on the Lord. The Lord has given us a day of good news.